1: Remember what you said You'll return that I might live In my father's house
2: Now why was he considered a friend of God? Why? Well, simply, he believed God and lived a life characterized by faith. So what does that look like? Well, He was a man who heard God, who believed God, believed that God could be trusted to do what he said he would do, and who based his entire life on that conviction. That's what made Abraham a friend of God.
0: Today, as Pastor Mike teaches about Abraham, he points out that the Bible refers to Abraham as a friend of God. But if we look at the events of his life recorded in Genesis, we see several noteworthy moral failures on Abraham's part. This can cause us to ponder why exactly he is known as God's friend. Pastor Mike reasons that what sets Abraham apart is his faith. His life was marked by faith. And the fact that Abraham did nothing to earn God's favor is encouraging to us who continuously rely on God's grace. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 12 as he begins his message, Abraham.
2: Turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. And we'll just pick up where we left off last time. And pretty much we're studying this book of the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And in the progression of that series now, as I mentioned, we move into chapter 12 in verse 1. And now we're introduced to a new character in our cast of characters, a fellow whose name was Abraham. Abraham. So Really, this message, the title is just simply Abraham. And we're going to be taking a look at and considering this man, his life, all of the lessons that are served up through his life over the next couple of weeks. And God did some really spectacular things through this man. So we should be intensely concerned about that work that God did in his life with hopes that God will do exactly that in all of our lives as well. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abraham... Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Now, let me begin by sharing a little bit of trivia concerning this man. And to give you an idea of how significant this man is, think about this. No one, with the exception of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, has been given more space in the Bible than Abraham. I mean, for 14 chapters. 14 chapters are used to set forth his life. 14 of those chapters are dedicated to this man and his descendants, beginning here in chapter 12 and then going right through and up to chapter 36 here in the book of Genesis. So, what made this man so great? And what distinguishes... A great man? And the answer to that question is simply he was a man of faith. You know, think about this. Think about some of the other characters of the Bible. The giants among giants. For example, Moses, the lawgiver, or Joshua, the great general, or David, the brilliant king, or Daniel, the outstanding statesman, Elijah, the great prophet or Paul, the faithful apostle. And each one of these characters would have confessed Abraham was their father in the faith. So throughout the Old and the New Testament, he's held up to us in so many ways, in exemplary kinds of ways. Held up, for example, as, a, as someone, one of God's people who are simply justified by their faith and live Let me give you a bunch of cross-references to that end. In Romans chapter 4, for example, in verses 1 through 3. What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Well, it says Abraham believed God. That was what made this man great and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Let me give you another cross-reference, another example of the reasons why this man is considered so great. Two chapters in the book of Galatians, that is the epistle that Paul wrote to the church there in Galatia. In chapters 3 and 4, refer to Abraham's life to prove that salvation is given apart from good works. For example, in chapter 3, in verses 6 and 7, and then in verse 14. Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And then in verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So that is Faith in Christ. Faith in Christ. Let me give you another example. Another reason why this man is considered so great. One of the longest paragraphs in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, which we all know and I frequently remind you of, is the Hall of Faith chapter, is devoted to the growth of faith in the life of this Old Testament saint, Abraham. Abraham. For example, in verses 8 through 12 of chapter 11, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah, his wife, herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful, who had promised. But you know what? There's something else that's significant about Abraham that I want to draw your attention to. In three different places in the scriptures... Two of which are recorded for us in the Old Testament, in Second Chronicles in chapter twenty, and verse seven, and then in Isaiah chapter forty-one and verse eight. But here in James chapter two and verse twenty-three, and this is what I want to draw your attention to, he is referred to as the friend of God, or God's friend, and this is again is another reason why this man was so great. In James chapter 2 and verse 23, and the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. Now, why was he considered a friend of God? Why? Well, simply he believed God and lived a life characterized by faith. So what does that look like? Well, he was a man who heard God who believed God, believed that God could be trusted to do what he said he would do, and who based his entire life on that conviction. That's what made Abraham a friend of God. That's God's friend. And how wonderful this is, this truth is. Because you know what? That means that there's hope for me and for you. That is to be a friend of God as well. I mean, it's within all of our reach. You know, after an introduction like this, and and I know I played this up a little bit, you know, how great a guy, a man, Abraham, was in this introduction to here in chapter 12 and verse 1. And I mean, after an introduction like that, it may come as a surprise or a shock to some of you And the truth of the matter is, concerning Abraham, there wasn't an awful lot or anything redeemable about Abraham's character that qualified him to be commended to God. You know, when I refer to Abraham as being great, he wasn't initially someone who was great. He was great because of the work that God had continued to do within his life. This isn't something that happened overnight. This was a part of a process. You see, think about this. Abraham had come from a family that had sunken to the level of worshiping idols. And Abraham himself may have at one time been an idol worshiper as well. You say, how do I know that? Or how did I come to that conclusion? Well, in the book of Joshua, Joshua refers to this possibility and his final charges given to Israel, challenging the people, reminding them of their pagan past. And in Joshua chapter 24, in verses 2, 3, and verse 14, and Joshua said to all the people, thus saith the Lord God of Israel. So he's laying out these final charges, you know, to the people as they had entered into the land of Canaan, they were to possess the land. He was warning, instructing them, and warning them about certain things. And he says, now listen, your fathers, including Terah, and who was Terah? Terah was Abraham's father. The father of Abraham and the father of Nahor dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods, false gods, and they worshiped idols. Verse 3, then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river and led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants, and gave him Isaac. Jump ahead to verse 14. Now therefore fear the Lord, or reverence the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river, and in Egypt serve the Lord. So it is quite possible that Abraham himself at one time was an idol worshiper, even as his family were. But somehow, during different intervals of time, Abraham must have had some contact with God-fearing believers who communicated the knowledge of the true and the living God. And it may have been someone like, for example, Shem, who was one of Noah's kids, right? Because the Bible tells us that he lived into Abraham's lifetime. He lived to a ripe old age of 600 years old. So we don't know exactly how he came to know of God. But it is possible that Shem could have been the one who introduced him to God or made an investment in his life. But nevertheless, it was this Abraham God saw and chose to be the father of many Nations, But once again, let me get back to the original thought here. There was nothing to merit God's choice within Abraham. You see, Abraham was exactly like you and exactly like me. And God just simply chose, I'm going to save him. I'm going to bless him. And I'm going to bestow my grace upon him. Does that sound familiar to any of you? Isn't that exactly what God has done in each and every one of our lives, right? There wasn't anything that warranted God doing that work. There wasn't anything that recommended us to God. Oh, you're so great, and therefore, you know, and I'm going to respond in kind and bless you because of how good you are or goody two-shoes you are or, or how worthy you are or a great man or woman of faith you are. No, there was nothing that commended Abraham, to God. Now, there's something else here, just to kind of give you an idea of how human this guy was, you know, prior to God continuing to do that work to bring him to that place of being great. There's something else here that I want to draw your attention to. The record of what God was doing in his life begins here in chapter 12. Go back to chapter 12 and verse 1. And can I read it again one more time? Let me read it for you. Now, the Lord had said to Abraham, and think of this as, as God's commissioning him, even as in our own experience, God has commissioned us. Okay, he's commissioned us to salvation, to follow him, to be one of his disciples. And yes, Abraham's calling was a lot different than any of our calling, but similar in many ways. But his commission us is exactly the same. The requirements remain the same. So hold on to that thought. Now, the Lord said to Abraham, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. So think about this. The record of what God was doing, was about to do in him, began here in verse 1. And isn't that exactly and doesn't it parallel what God wants to do in our lives? You know, think about the processes of God. Think about the beginnings of that work within our lives. And in the beginnings of that process, in our calling, isn't it true that each and every one of us needs to be involved in a decisive separation from our past, even as God was calling Abraham, from a decisive separation from his past. You see, there's always something to do or change, that is, once God initiates a relationship. There's always something to add, there's always something to subtract, and there's always something to avoid. Now, isn't that true? Now, I mean, if your life hasn't changed, well, you got to really question whether or not you've gone through a genuine conversion experience, right? There's always something to add. There's always something to subtract. There's always something to avoid, right? There's always something to do. And it's not an easy thing, granted. I mean, consider Abraham. Consider where he lived. God instructed him to leave the land of Ur. And historically, if you know anything about Ur, Ur was a very beautiful area. It was well watered. It was between two different rivers, the Tigris River and the Euphrates River. And therefore, the soil of the land of Ur was extremely rich. And that lent itself to growing crops abundantly. And commerce flourished there. But nevertheless... God instructed Abraham to leave a country like that and set off across the Arabian desert to who knows where? Hey folks, that was not an easy thing. And isn't it interesting? He only gave him the first step. And isn't that like God? You know, sometimes God says, Hey Mike, I want you to do this. And I say, okay, Lord, I'm listening. You want to give me the okay, I'll take the first, but you want to give me the second and the third, and the, I want the whole blueprint, God, you know? But God usually doesn't do that. He wants us to step out in faith. And he doesn't give us the second step until we've taken the first step, right? We want the whole thing in advance. We want to be able to look down the road and around the corner and see what, you know, what we're going to face sometime in the future, right? But God usually doesn't work that way. So Abraham was to leave a country like that and set off across the Arabian desert to who knows where. He didn't tell him where he was going. He just says, get out of the land of Ur. And I'll explain why in just a moment, and that'll bring us to our second point. But the point is, it was not an easy thing. And listen, when God calls us, when God commissions us, right, to salvation or whatever, many times it's not an easy thing. And there are sacrifices that need to be made. God said to Abraham, leave your Country. Now the second thing that I want to draw your attention to here as it relates to this part of the processes of God working in Abraham's life, very similar to the way that he works in each and every one of our lives, Abraham was to eliminate all godless influences from his life. Notice he was also commanded to leave his people. Because you see, his people, as we've already established in that text of scripture that we read in the book of Joshua, they were idol worshipers. They had forsaken the true and the living God. And they had turned their back upon him and they went after these false gods. And they worshiped these idols. So therefore, God commanded, because of what he was about to do in and through his life, he had to practice separation. And I want you to think about that in your own life. Isn't that true of us as well? God has called us to separation, separation from the things of the world. We are to separate ourselves from the people that would have those ungodly influences upon our lives. We must also practice separation, sanctification, just simply means to be set apart. So therefore he's commanded to leave his people. Now, think of the major obstacle that would have been for Abraham to overcome. We're talking about leaving human love. You know how difficult it is, right? For those of you who have come to New York from other places, you've come here because of your work or whatever, you're attending one of the universities here, as many of you are, or some internship, or you're here to study your art, your craft, music, whatever, and you've had to leave your home, California, Oshkosh, Wisconsin, wherever you came from, right? And it's not easy because you're leaving those who love you. It's an extremely difficult occupation. Abraham was required to leave human love. And listen, and you can bet, even though his mom and dad, his closest relatives and kin were idol worshipers, there was still love that existed between them. You know, the human kind of love that we experience, you know, between the members of our family, many of which aren't Christians, many of which would actually fall into this category of idol worshipers. Although if you ask them the question, aren't you worshiping an idol, they wouldn't even know what you're talking about, right? But they're worshiping the God of mammon, that is the God of this world and the things that the world has to offer. So this was not an easy proposition, He was to leave human love, right? Think about all of the bonds that he had formed over. He was an adult by this time, right? Think about the security of leaving your own home, right? You got your your mom, your dad, members of your family to fall back on in times of need, that security that family provides. Think about the prosperity that he also enjoyed living in that family, in that area. Now, why was all of this necessary? Why was he to eliminate all of these ungodly influences from his life? Why? Because simply, it was necessary for his spiritual growth. If you don't practice separation, folks, let me tell you something. It'll hinder your growth and your walk in your relationship with the Lord. It'll hold you down. All of these godless influences. You see, Abraham needed to understand and experience to simply and completely rely upon God for everything.
1: In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long,
0: When something gets close to an ending, we naturally turn our attention to the beginning. When a child is about to graduate, we look at baby pictures. When a beloved spouse of many years grows close to death, we go over the story of how we met. When we pack up our stuff and move away from a house, we remember the first times we walked in the door. And as we draw close to the end of days, it seems only fitting to return to in the beginning. We can watch as light is created in land and sea and all the creatures, day and night in the sun and moon. And when we take a look at the glorious and amazing creation of the world, we can remember that it's the same God from the beginning who is ruling over the end. We can watch in awe, remembering that the end is also good news as we eagerly await his return. And here at In My Father's House, we're so glad you've decided to spend your day with us. In My Father's House is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. It's easy to get here with access from Port Authority and Penn Station on 34th. We'd love to see you. Pop over to our website, harvestnyc.org, to find times and so much more. And if you feel compelled to partner with this ministry financially, there's a link for that as well. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. While you're there, take a look around to find additional audio, a link to our Vimeo and podcasts. That's all we have time for today. We've loved spending time with you, and we can't wait to meet up with you again. See you next time here in My Father's House.